This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 65 and it's going to be another look at some real songs from the territory days, but this time with a little twist to it, which we'll get to soon. Uh, joining me once again in this endeavor is the host of Shake Them Ropes. It's Jeff Hawkins. How's it going, Jeff? Greetings and salutations, everybody. <laughs> how's that? Uh, how's that rascal Novembrino treating you? Is he good? Uh, he is good. He has started a new job, and so it's once again kind of thrown our recording into a bit of a into a bit of a tizzy. But uh, yeah, no, he's treating me well. Occasionally, I will still talk to Rob as well. So I mean, I, I have I now have like two dads that I'm trying to get their love from. And it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's it's ridiculous at times. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine the podcast is keeping you pretty busy as well because you've got what two shows a week. Got the Patreon stuff, all the WWE shows you got to watch. Yeah, I, um, I have so many shows, I've cut down to one episode a week of Shake Them Ropes finally. Oh, okay, okay. Like two, two is too much, and the main roster is just, it's it's not a lot of fun to watch, so it's like, I'm just going to do one episode, because I don't want to feel like I'm crapping on WWE for two shows a week. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, well, Jeff, the last time you were on the show here was to talk about some real songs that were used as entrance themes during the Territory Days, uh, namely the 80s, early 90s, that era. And we talked about how great these songs were as themes for their respective wrestlers. Today we're going to put a little bit of a twist on that topic because we're going to talk about some real songs from the Territory Days that did not really work as themes for various reasons. And for this one, Jeff, I defer to you on most of these because you know, I have a fairly decent knowledge on the quote-unquote good territory songs because they're good and they're memorable, but I can't say the same about the bad ones. And some of the ones that you picked here today, Jeff, I mean, they just they blew my mind. I still wanted to do the Kerry Von Eric Miami sound machine one because <laughs> that one was just ridiculous. Um... Yeah, it, it turns out some of my picks may not have uh, been as bad as you think, because I think a couple of them were ironic picks, more than anything, meant to get heat. But yeah, they're, I mean, in addition to just wrestlers taking tapes out of their cars and saying, play this song, it, it, it once music themes became big, it almost became a trial and error period for <laughs> some people where it's like, you know what? let's try this as a musical theme, see if I get the people to pop or boo me or whatever, and then, you know what, if it doesn't work, I'll just switch songs from here. I mean, I, I read articles now that don't really, that are very prisoner of the moment because they're like, they're like crapping on things like Hot Stuff by Donna Summer as a wrestling theme, which I think is a great wrestling yeah, theme. Yeah, it's great. You know, just, just the entrance and it sets the mood and everything, but I think, you know, there's that, there's that notion of like crap on disco or crap on different kind of pop songs, you know, with that kind of ironic eye 20 years later. But you know, it, there, <laughs> there are some where it's just like, you know, the gimmick doesn't fit. And so the song makes it worse. I think that'll be our last one, <laughs> which is one that I've brought up before. But there are just songs that are sometimes inexplicable. To use as a wrestling theme, and you're like, what What were they thinking there? And you can't really find information on that anymore. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, there have been some interesting songs used as themes. I, I still am amazed, for example, that uh, WCW f found a way to use Bob Seger's Her Strut <laughs> and made it, you know, just awesome to watch Doom and Woman walk down to the ring with that, you know, because it has that driving bass line. And, you know, you hear it the first time and you go, eh, it doesn't sound like a, you know, a song that two tough guys would walk down to. But with the valet in tow, oh, now it makes sense. Now it's kind of cool, you know, but these are uh, these are songs that 
either didn't work or were ill-placed or in one one case I was just wrong because I threw a bunch of songs at you that I just saw, you know, going through the net, going through a list of things and going, can you believe they used this song as, as a thing? And I maybe have misinterpreted it at the time. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into this. <laughs> yeah, I think we should say this ahead of time that, you know, music is subjective, obviously, mm-hmm. but just because these songs are on today's episode here does not necessarily make them bad songs. No. A lot of these songs are great, but in the context of being wrestling themes, they don't really work. And, and it may that, depend on the wrestler, too. Yeah, and that applies to just so many great songs in music. Like, you could love a song wholeheartedly, but that doesn't mean that it would make a good wrestling theme. You know, like, like Rick Rude is the only person, and I almost asked you to put this on the list because I thought it was a bad choice for a wrestling theme, but Sade's Smooth Operator is, is not a song you think of as a wrestling theme song, but only Rick Rude could make that song work as a wrestling theme song. That or a phone operator gimmick, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start off here, actually, with the wrestler who was last on the previous episode, Jeff, Volume 1. It's the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And, uh, Jeff, you brought up last time that in addition to coming out to also Sprex Zarathustra, his famous theme, Flair also came out to Fanfare for the Common Man. Well, this song is neither of those two songs. No. It's not even in the same universe as those two songs. This is Phil Collins and Philip Bailey with a song that is best known in wrestling as being the theme for WrestleMania 1, but this was also Flair's theme in Battle of the Belts 2 in Jim Crockett Promotions in 86 against Barry Windham. This is off of the album Chinese Wall. It's Easy Lover. This is a good song to start off with here because it just fits the theme of the episode so well. Easy Lover <laughs> is a great song. It's so catchy, so much fun. Phil Collins, Philip Bailey, their voices just blend so well together. On its own, Easy Lover, big thumbs up. As a wrestling theme for Ric Flair, on the other hand, it's a much different story for multiple reasons, isn't it, Jeff? Um, <laughs> Ric Flair is an easy lover. In his gimmick, true, true. he's a man who, who would tell women on on a show, hey, I'm going to be at the Marriott <laughs> room here. If you're between the ages of 18 and 25, come on by. But, yeah, it, it's an upbeat, te- up-tempo tune, which makes it decent for a wrestling theme, but it's, it's a, number one, it's about a woman. It's just, it's not flair. Flair is about pomp and circumstance. And it's, sure, he's an easy lover, but this song isn't sexy. Like you would think of Ric Flair as, you know, notable poon hound, for lack <laughs> of a better tune, would be. And plus, you also had the addition, yeah, it was already used by Vince McMahon a year earlier. So that makes it, you know, a little difficult to use as a wrestling theme. Now, as a song, um, this was my first real exposure to Philip Bailey and his falsetto. I didn't know anything about Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, he would would later become one of my favorite bands ever. But Phil Collins had had a relationship with Earth, Wind, and Fire prior to this because he used the Phoenix Horns. Um, 
they use them on Abacab on on two different songs. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they uh, no reply at all. Ah, uh, yeah, and, um, yeah. I missed again. Yeah, those are the Earth, Wind, and Fire horns. Is anybody listening? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that's uh, the Earth, Wind, and Fire horn. Paper Late as well. If you, if you remember, you know that that's one of my favorite songs by Genesis. I absolutely love that song and the horns in it. And also, Phil Collins at this time was kind of trying to expand his empire and was producing people, and he was also producing um, Eric Clapton. Uh, like a year after this is when he'd do uh, Behind the Sun, which had uh, She's Waiting and stuff. And one of the co-writers of this song, in addition to Bailey and Collins, is Nathan East, who is Eric Clapton's longtime bass player, which is which I, I find interesting as well. Nice song. You know, Philip Bailey is just an awesome falsetto. It, it's just, it's not a wrestling thing. Yeah, you hit all the marks right there, Jeff, for sure. Uh, Easy Lover is about a woman who is the dream woman and very easy to fall in love with. She'll get a hold on you, believe it, like no other. Before you know it, you'll be on your knees. She's the kind of girl you dream of, dream of keeping hold of, etc. But she's also a heartbreaker. She's a player. She will play around and leave you, leave you and deceive you. Oh, she'll say that there's no other till she finds another. And so on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's about a woman. So right there, it doesn't work. But also, sure, Ric Flair is a ladies' man. He's a sexual heartbreaker. But that is still just one part of the Ric Flair persona. Because Ric Flair's whole thing is, I am better than you in every single way. And that includes women, but that also includes wrestling. That includes money, clothing, cars, jewelry. Uh, championship accolades. It's not just that he's a ladies' man. It's all these other things that make up his whole persona, which is why Easy Lover doesn't work because it, it limits that character greatly. Yeah, it's not regal at all. It doesn't. It doesn't display Flair's sense of importance. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go a little bit back and forth between wrestling theme and song here a bit. It's weird because this was also supposed to be meant to be a breakout hit for Philip Bailey. But everybody thinks of it as a Phil Collins song, which is kind of disappointing in many ways, because Philip Bailey had wanted a, a solo career for a long time. He had, you know, broken up with Earth, Wind and Fire and come back. And then it's like, well, I need a hit on this record. Hey, Phil, can you help me? And then Phil gets Phil gets most of the credit for this song. It, it's so weird because Phil had the, the greater pop AOR adult oriented radio cash at the time, you know, with you know, no jacket required and all that other stuff. So it's kind of almost tragic that this became such a huge hit, but everybody's like, Oh, it's Phil Collins and that other guy who sang real high. Mm. Well, I think getting back to not accurately representing Ric Flair here, I think it's really weird to see Flair come out to any sort of pop song in general, regardless of what it's about, because Zarathustra, that song just, it's so perfectly encapsulates the Ric Flair character and aura and persona better than any other song could. And I think a pop song would just feel so out of place because Ric Flair should be above using a pop song because pop songs are for the masses and Ric Flair is above the masses, Jeff. Yeah, and I, you think, I mean, I think they maybe the thought is he could strut a bit to this song in a little, like, a fast way, like a fast Fargo strut of some kind, but... You know, the only kind of pop songs I could see is something, you know, like nasty with a bit of an R&B, something like Cream by Prince in the New Power Generation or something like, you know, something with that kind of, you know, funky beat where, you know, it's very slow and he's kind of cockily strutting down, you know, and, and, it's, and it's I'm better than you. But yeah, no, the, the, the classical music and and other genres like that fit Ric Flair because I'm a great wrestler, and by being a great wrestler, I'm a champion. And by being a champion, I'm in high society. And pop, yeah, like you said, pop is, is a music form of the masses. And, you know, instrumentals like uh, like, like he used uh, display a kind of snobbery that, that, that just adds to the character. We're going to move now to a song that was used by not just one wrestler, but a whole heapin' helpin' of wrestlers. I'm talking Steve Williams, I'm talking Ted DiBiase, The U.S. Express, Kerry Von Erich, Brad Armstrong, Terry Funk, 
Bull Power, aka Big Van Vader, the list goes on and on. This song is by The Boss. No, not Sasha Banks. No, not Ray Trailer. I'm talking about Bruce Springsteen. And in 1984, Bruce put out Born in the USA, one of the biggest albums of all time. And this song is the title track, Born in the USA. Born in the USA is an interesting song choice because I think at some point in all of our lives we've been tricked by this song. Because on the surface you hear the bombast, you hear the keyboards and the big rock guitars and the drums and Bruce Springsteen emphatically howling, Born in the USA! And you sort of tune out the rest of the song. And you just assume that it's this pro-America super patriotic song, but if you actually listen to the verses, you'll realize that it's actually about a Vietnam veteran coming home from the war and being abandoned by his country and not finding work and going to jail and being disillusioned with America, down in the shadow of the penitentiary, out by the gas fires of the refinery, I'm 10 years burning down the road, nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go. Born in the USA, I was born in the USA. And when you realize that, the big bombastic hook and the sound goes from being super patriotic to being bitterly sarcastic and biting. And a lot of people fail to realize this, Jeff. Well, it's the equivalent of clickbait on the headline where the article doesn't match. Because it is a great wrestling theme if you wanted to use it. Until you delve down into the meaning of the song. And then it's a terrible wrestling thing. Yes. Plenty of politicians try to use this as, I believe, both, I believe George H.W. Bush used this as a campaign theme in 88 when he was running for president. Yeah, it's it's something, you know, if, if you just stuck to, hey, it's born in the USA, then, then oh, it, look, it's patriotic. Yeah, I think it suckered George Will at one point because he went to a Springsteen concert thinking it was... Americana and all this other... I, I have an odd relationship with Bruce Springsteen that we'll get into. Because um, I, I, I have a theory on him that's just way out there a bit. But, uh, yeah, no, it's... it's You know, there, there there's lyrics about, uh, you know, a guy in Vietnam and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the woman he left there who bore a son, which was, you know, not exactly uncommon during Vietnam... Uh, I believe Springsteen himself was also uh, drafted during Vietnam, but he couldn't go because of an injury he had, and also I think he acted crazy during the during the mental evaluation process or something. So yeah, it's 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 uh, it, it's more sardonic than it is um, uh, hopeful or gleeful about about the country, um, and that's you know that's kind of. That's kind of Springsteen's niche when it comes to this kind of song. Yeah, I mean, Bruce isn't exactly known for his, you know, super-duper patriotic, sweeping epic songs. He does sing about America a lot and Americana, and um, one of my favorite songs of his is The Rising, which is about 9-11. Yeah. But he's not really known for being big-picture, rah-rah, let's-go-America. He's often critical of the country, which... 
makes the wrestlers coming out to this song here even more ironic and out of place because who are the wrestlers coming out to this music in the 80s and 90s? Wrestlers who are probably very rah-rah America. Yes. You know, they're meant to be the American good guys who are, you know, fighting for what's right, um, usually against the evil foreign wrestler like Iron Sheik or Nikolai Volkov or Great Kabuki or whomever. But the song itself is actually damning of America. That's why I put it on the list here, because it's antagonistic to the intent of the wrestlers coming out to it. But, uh, you know, at the same time, of course, hindsight being 2020, uh, I'm sure that back in the day when this song played and the wrestler came out, that the crowd would go nuts for it. Oh, yeah. No, this, this I mean, this and Michael Jackson's Thriller were the two biggest albums of, of my youth. Probably. I mean, Bruce Springsteen was was white suburbia, um, baby boomer generation rock and roll, you know, who loved it. I think Bruce Springsteen is a great songwriter. I think his band is musically talented as hell. I have some of my favorite songs. You know, I like Murder Incorporated a lot. I like uh, his solo thing. I like Tunnel of Love quite a bit. But Bruce Springsteen as blue collar, solid rock and roller is an act to me. It's something he kind of puts on or he wanted to be. And to me, if you want to get my impression of Bruce Springsteen, this comes out in his sardonic things about blue collar America. He's not really blue collar America. He's the guy who kind of grew up despising that, those kinds of people. And now he kind of has to play to them. That, that's what it feels like to me. It feels like his, he wants to be Southside Johnny and the Asbury Dukes. He wants to be John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band. Or, you know, Detroit Motown kind of white boy soul in Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheel. But he also has a certain contempt for the blue collar guy. I mean, it's one of those things he puts on as a gimmick in in many ways to me. I think John Mellencamp is a much better Americana type of guy. I think Bruce Springsteen's a better songwriter because I think his lyrics are just wordy and difficult and, and very steely dan kind of vibe in terms of you know he he's the poet who was who you know i don't have time for school i'm so driven by my art kind of contrived thing and then it's like i need something that i can sell music with so he put on kind of this blue collar act to me because as soon as he sold his guy's first record deal he was in california and then he would play upon the jersey thing for years and that's how i always i always was kind of uh, and i always feared that's why a lot of boomers especially the politically involved boomers love bruce springsteen as well because he thinks the same way they do and they have the same contempt for the same kinds of people so it's one of those weird things where all these oh yeah man bruce bruce springsteen jersey bar band guy but he's the kind of guy who'd go into the bar and go i gotta play this place again type of thing i mean he has some songs that you know have that like glory days off of this album, you know, it's, but it's also the story of, you know, Hey, I ran into my, one of my loser high school friends who just wanted to talk about how great he was in high school. Isn't he a douche? You know, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. He's, he's the kid who came back, you know, for, he came back for the high school reunion to make fun of people because people made fun of him for being the artistic loner kind of thing. That's the vibe I always get from Bruce Springsteen, but I love his band. I love his music. He has some great song. 10th Avenue freeze out is also great, but I also thought there's a bit of play acting when it came to the, to the blue collar Americana vibe of Bruce Springsteen as well. Well, I think considering when this song came out, I don't think that it's a big surprise that, it, um, I don't want to say fooled people, but they just didn't get it. Because at the time, it's, you know, smack dab in the 80s, uh, Reagan's in office, it's the Cold War, every action movie bad guy is Russian or communist. There's a lot of pro-America sentiment going around. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest wrestling star on the planet is all-American good guy Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So I don't necessarily blame people for misinterpreting the song as this America, fuck yeah, song, because this was the time period. You know, this was the heyday of America, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. And if there's a big soaring song called Born in the USA out, then, yeah, you just assume that it was pro-America. So, yeah, I don't blame people for not getting the gist of the song. Oh, if you went to a picnic, if you went to a minor league baseball game, if you, this this thing was... 
you know, this isn't, you know, this isn't Lee Greenwood. God bless the USA. You know, oh, we got two American songs back to back. Yeah, no, I don't blame anybody for that either. I mean, this was, this was a monster, monster album. I don't think people realize how, how much it dominated the zeitgeist. I think it's kind of like, uh. Let's see. Born in the USA came out in '84, and Thriller came out in '82. It was kind of the 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 white people's answer to Thriller. That's that. I mean that that's. <laughs> well, you that's, got Born I mean, in the USA, Dancing in the Dark, Dark Glory Days, Glory Days, I'm on Fire, I'm on fire. Cover Me, yeah. My Hometown. It, every song's a hit. So yeah, it, it, yeah, it's one of those albums that I think was on the charts for like three or four years. And you just couldn't get rid of the damn thing, you know, like the Eagles Hotel, California. And yeah, it, it uh, I mean, just everything. Yeah. And I believe Dancing in the Dark was the first single off of it. And that really gave Born in the USA a lot of momentum into it, because I think Born in the USA was the second single. Don't quote me on that, but uh, I think that's true. Well, moving on now from the uh, Bruce Springsteen Power Hour here, uh, <laughs> we're going to go to a tag team, Fatu and Samu. They were known as the Head Shrinkers in the WWF, but before that, they were known as the Samoan SWAT team. And you know, Jeff, when you've got two wild, mean, nasty Samoans in a tag team, you need a theme song that just matches their intensity, matches their wild, savage behavior. And in the late 80s, the good people at World Class Championship Wrestling and the AWA decided to give them just that. Folks, prepare yourselves, lock your doors, hide your children, because the madness is about to begin. Off of the album Simplest Pleasures, this is Bobby McFerrin with the evil, the diabolical, the downright sadistic... Don't worry, be happy. song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry you make it double, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. Jeff, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on around here? I mean, seriously, <laughs> we've got Fatu and Samu, the second coming of the Wild Samoans, the bloodline of Afa and Sika pumping through their veins. They look scary as fuck. They wrestle a vicious, hard-hitting style with headbutts and power slams and savat kicks and top rope splashes. And they're coming out to the happiest jolliest most peaceful song of all time jeff it makes no sense whatsoever makes absolutely no sense i think it eventually i think if i were to speculate i think originally they heard kind of the island slash reggae stylings of bobby mcfarren right that's what i kind of assumed as well and then eventually they realized oh now it's an ironic pick because they started you know they started having the tagline don't don't be happy worry and I think they finally caught on, but I think they just liked the beat at first, and they didn't listen to, you know, they just, but, but, you know, if you want to take Occam's Razor, I would say ironic pick, but at the same time, I think there's something to the island beat of it. I can't stand this song. <laughs> I absolutely loathe it. This, this song was one of those that went, you know, from hits radio to AOR radio. You couldn't escape it because it was played 12 times a day an hour on on air the music video was on vh1 and mtv all the time and the music video itself is just it's annoying robin williams could not be more of a hey look at me i'm robin williams in in this video and it, it's just 
And I like Bobby McFerrin. Bobby McFerrin had kind of come to fame. I believe he had done like a Levi's 501 commercial, you know, doing the musical stuff. And then Cosby asked him to do the theme to the Cosby show. He had had a couple albums that really didn't get anywhere. And then this thing came out. And it was a phenomenon. And then it sparked all this other pop psychology garbage, you know, on talk shows and anything. Well, you know, can't we really be happy without worrying? <laughs> and just all, you know, all these bad t-shirts that were being marketed for it. And this pseudo Buddhist crap that would just go through all. And it was just, it, it, it tried to be a movement. And it ju- it was just one of those things where it's just like, God, stop it. Every mom and dad loved this song. I think every church in America had a, had a, had a sermon based on this song for something. You don't need to be worried because you have Jesus in your life. It's like, Oh my God, <laughs> please stop. I can't escape this stupid song. And it, it, it was, it's, it, it just became, you know, over. And the sad thing is I, the Samoan SWAT team had some great theme songs after this. They had the theme from jaws. And the one I love is the one from WCW, the theme from Halloween. That's right. Which is yeah. just awesome. And also, just the Samoan SWAT team, I was waiting for them to come into SWAT gear. It never <laughs> happened for me. I wanted them to be the shield, and they never were. But, but yeah, don't worry, be happy. And they use it in two different two different territories. And you just have to go, oh, they, couldn't, they didn't want to buy a Samoan song, and they thought this might be it. So they came through, but I'm hoping it was ironic. Well, let's be honest here. Uh, do we really think of 80s? wrestling promoters as being like big irony guys you know i I just don't feel that with those guys i don't think that's their thing but um yeah like like you said this song was just it was a massive hit number one in the charts three grammy awards as well and it's it's, a blight on humanity (laughs) hate this song and it's all acapella and cheerful whistling and because there are no instruments the song does not have any weight or heft to it. It's light as a feather. And, yeah, the song is all about letting go of your problems and just being happy. The SST are the polar opposite of that. They have weight. <laughs> they have heft. These are beefy boys. And they don't let go of problems. They cause the problems. These mm-hmm. are thick, violent men who hurt people. That's pretty much the MO for like every Samoan in wrestling. The Wild Samoans, the SST, the Island Boys, Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns, Yokozuna, Jacob Fatu. So them coming out to again makes no sense, Jeff. Well, well, you know what? Their manager didn't ever have to worry. So maybe that. Maybe, <laughs> of know, course, you know, there you go. Oliver Humperdinck or Paulie Dangerously. Or I retract whatever. my I mean, entire argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it was for the manager of the Samoan SWAT team. Like he's coming out relaxed and just like, hey, you know, whatever. I'm gonna be happy. I'm gonna watch these guys just beat the crap out of you. But yeah, no, it does not. And it's a bad wrestling theme. It's a. It's just like. It, it 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 doesn't make any sense. You can't really get a nice. You can get a walking rhythm, but not a wrestler walk rhythm to it. It just it just doesn't fit for me. Right, right. Um, something else too. Uh, you know when you've got like a Samoan savage or an island savage gimmick, they typically get some sort of like you know crazy tribal island music, like the Head Shrinkers theme or yeah. Umaga's theme, for example. And with an in-house composer or a music library, you can make or find songs like that pretty easily. But it's a lot harder to find that intense tribal music in pop song form. Yeah, because yeah, when yeah, you, you think of not... island music in, in pop songs, you think of what Don Ho. Yeah. <laughs> or that cover of Over the Rainbow and, yeah. and Twinkling Guitars and Blue Skies and Hula Girls and all, and all that nice stuff. And you don't really think of that music as being scary or intense. So yeah, it is difficult, I think, to find a pop song that would really fit this type of gimmick. Look, if you're in Texas, you don't know where to find Polynesian music. And you can't exactly (laughs) walk into a Sam Goody or something and go, hey, can you point me 
to the scary island music section of your store. Oh, sure, it's kid... over there with the, uh, the the scary island music section. Yeah, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Just go over there. Yeah, it, it, you gotta also remember in the moment. Yeah, they didn't have the internet to search these things. You just have to kind of go on what people know. It's like, well, what do people from the islands listen to? And they hear this Bobby McFerrin beat, and they go, oh, that sounds kind of like it. Yeah, it's just one of those song choices that makes you just scratch your head. <laughs> I saw that, and I wrote you, I go, put it on! <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of being happy, our next song is for Mr. Warmth himself, Jim Cornette. And we touched on Cornette the last time when we talked about the Midnight Express theme, The Chase. But when Cornette was in World Class in 85, he had this song as his entrance music. It's by Katrina and the Waves. It's off of their self-titled album. This is Walkin' on Sunshine. I think instead of talking about this one, I should just play this song and then splice in clips of Cornette just angrily ranting on the podcast or in shoot interviews, you know? <laughs> I used to think maybe you loved me, now baby, I'm sure. Vince Russo, you pile of shit, I hate your fucking guts! <laughs> yeah, you just ca- you counterbalance uh, Jim Cornette being very angry right now to this very happy, brassy... 1980s perfect pop song because I look I'm gonna say right now top five 80 songs for me maybe top two I love Katrina and the Waves Walking on Sunshine but I but this is one that I may have made a mistake on because after doing research um you, you'd think that this may might have been like a debut song for Jim Cornette if he's gonna come out and be a babyface manager or something to that effect no, this was actually a trolling song because Cornette was feuding with, um, I believe it was Chris Adams' girlfriend slash manager Sunshine. Might have been, uh, ah, might have okay. been Jim Jimmy Garvin before he went to Precious. I can't remember who, but in 1985, he was he had a feud with Sunshine. This was the entrance music for him on the blow-off match. I believe it was a blindfold match for him. Like, he said, oh, I can fight you blindfolded. So it's that usual, you know, woman versus dumb male manager who can't fight where the crabbing's going to get his butt kicked type of match. So it was trolling the audience with the title, much like Born in the USA is not a positive song. Walking on Sunshine is not about beating up a valet named Sunshine. I will now talk about the song because this song is awesome. It is overplayed as hell because they would license this to anybody and anybody. If you had a movie trailer in the 1980s, it was either going to be this song or a song by Giant Steps called Another Lover. You know, any romantic comedy, any Michael J. Fox non Back to the Future film, you know, Doc Hollywood, Secret of My Success, always had, you know, Walking on Sunshine, and it is a great upbeat song. I know it was used ironically in, what was it, High Fidelity, but it's the best song in High Fidelity other than Stevie Wonder's I Believe When I Fall in Love, It'll Be Forever. Okay, it's better than all the douchey music snob stuff that Kuzak and the other characters in there and Nick Hornsby loved. You know, and for me, what really makes it is the the instrumental going to the end where you get the driving guitar part and it's just walking on sunshine. It's like, I feel the love. I feel love. I feel love. That's really real. And she's building it and she's building it and she's building it. And then she releases to the guttural. Oh, and it's just a driving 
cool little 80s pop song, much in the vein for me of uh, Our Lips Are Sealed and kind of in that brassy vein of, say, you know, a Susudio or Higher Love by Steve Winwood. It's it's just an upbeat, cool pop song that's just it got licensed so much to the point where it's now kind of viewed with derision. There have been like slow versions on commercials, but the only version that should ever be heard is Katrina and the Waves, who are kind of unfairly branded as a one hit wonder, even though I think that's the way charted, but nobody remembers that one. They tried to redo their image from bubblegum pop to, you know, sexy leading lady. And it didn't really take, but I, I friggin' love this song, Andrew. I do. Yeah. I enjoyed a lot too, for sure. Um, maybe a little overplayed perhaps, but still a very fun song. Absolutely. Um, see, this is where I flubbed up now because I usually do a little bit of Googling about some of the more obscure themes, get a little bit more info on them. And just for whatever reason, I, I forgot to do it for this one. So because of my, my lack of knowledge, my lack of Googling, <laughs> I did not know about the Sunshine Feud at all. So my notes are, are pretty much just about cranky Jim Cornette coming out to this delightfully boisterous pop song without realizing why he had it in the first place. Yeah, but but remember, when he's like 22, 23 and starting to manage, he's wearing the bright pastels and the bright things. So, I mean, you could be mistaken for thinking he might be a babyface manager coming out and you play this song as like a top, hey guys, you know, slapping hands. Like if he was like dynamic dudes, Jim Cornette, but a little younger, you could see him coming out to this. Yeah, you yeah. put it like that. I, I could definitely see perhaps an outsider looking in and not getting the point and you know mistaking Cornette for this you know happy good guy yeah um but yeah no this was this was kind of a one trick thing for him to kind of troll the audience where oh look I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this woman's butt yeah you know which is you know Texas intergender wrestling a staple of the world-class territory in the mid 80s right right yeah yeah I think regardless of the sunshine feud or, or whatever it's just funny to think about Jim Cornette coming out to Walking on Sunshine yeah. because it is the happiest song in the world and Cornette is often a very cranky and angry man it, it, you know it'd be like Kylie Ray coming out to Nine Inch Nails you know it brings out that same response of really why is this person coming out to this now, see, Kylie Ray or Bailey, this would be the perfect kind of song. Yes. For them. You know, the upbeat, sunshiny, la, 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 kind. Yeah, yeah. But no, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't, it would, yeah. Kylie Ray coming out to like, uh, Hurt by Johnny Cash is <laughs> gonna fit, you know, as a theme. Cannibal Corpse, Slayer, one of those bands, right? <laughs> you know, Bailey coming out to like Power Man 5000 or something like that from ECW mid-90s. Yeah, it just doesn't fit. and it doesn't. Walking on Sunshine doesn't fit for Jim Cornette in any setting, but as a troll tune, I admire the man for trying. All right, up next, the hits just keep on coming. It's time <laughs> for some Michael Jackson. And as we brought up earlier there, in 1982, Michael Jackson put out a monolith of an album called Thriller. This was just an absolute behemoth in pop culture. Still is today. And one of the many mega hits on that album is the song Beat It, featuring Eddie Van Halen. Now, Beat It has a pretty big legacy to it. Whether it's the chart success, or the Grammy Awards, or the critical acclaim or the influence on pop music and rock music. It was also, in JCP, the theme song for the raging bull, Manny Fernandez. And if you don't know who Manny Fernandez is, there are some stories we could tell you for sure. But first, let's talk about Beat It. So beat it, just beat it, 
This is another song that I would put in the same camp as Born in the USA because you might hear the punchiness of the song, the cool groove, it's called Beat It, and you might think, oh, this is about action. It's about beating things up and no one wants to be defeated, so let's, you know, let's win, etc., etc. This will make for a good wrestling theme. But actually, the verses tell a different story because the song is all about anti-violence. It's about walking away from fights and getting out of that danger. Beat it doesn't mean beat him up. It means beat it, get out, leave. You better run, you better do what you can. Don't want to see no blood, don't be a macho man. They're out to get you, better leave while you can. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right, just beat it. And that message to back down, to not get into a fight, it's not really conducive to wrestling, Jeff. You know, the thing that strikes out for me is that Manny Fernandez who I like as a wrestler, but his entire gimmick was stolen valor about, you know, his, his, his Vietnam battle experience, which is kind of a tall tale. Allegedly. And, and, you know, how he learned martial arts while he was over there that he would co-opt pop culture to this effect. Because if you look at Manny Fernandez, he's, Basically, his whole look is like one of the dancers from the Beat It video, but he looks like one of their dads. He <laughs> looks like a middle-aged guy trying to play one of these guys, and he's not that old. But you know, he's a little chubby, a little chunky. He has all you know all the gigs on the forehead from being a wrestler at this time. He has the mullet with the blonde patch in the center of it. I mean, he looks like a trashy territories wrestler, and I say trashy in the most endearing way possible playing a background dancer in a Michael Jackson video. He has the leather, he has the chaps on over the <laughs> over over the trunks, you know, the fingerless gloves on, you know, it, it, it's just it's like your dad going to a Halloween party as a guy in the in the bad video. It, it is what it is. And in, when you think about it, you go, yeah, that's Manny Fernandez. That that would be it. Now Manny would eventually, you know, when we will rock you became theme for he and, and rude. It's like, okay, now they found something, but yeah, this was just, this, this, this was one that just did not fit the wrestler itself. Yeah. Manny Fernandez is, how should I put this? A tough, blunt, ugly brute of a man has as many manners as he does teeth, which is not many. <laughs> I mean, he's a bruiser. He'll beat the crap out of you. And he is not the kind of guy who will just beat it. You know, he won't just walk away from something and let a cooler head prevail. All you have to do is look up the video on YouTube, Manny Fernandez versus Invader 3 from Puerto Rico. And warning, it's a very graphic video where Manny, as an act of revenge against Invader 1, Jose Gonzalez, for allegedly killing Bruiser Brody, he dropped multiple top rope knee drops on Invader 3's midsection, which ruptured Invader's stomach cavity and caused him to not spit up blood or cough up blood. There is a geyser of blood just spewing out of his mouth. It is so disgusting and so nasty. And some people claim it's a work, but Manny has always claimed that it's real, which tells you all you need to know about Manny Fernandez and his ability to just walk away and beat it, Jeff. <laughs> Well, M Manny in his interviews was always trying to come off as street tough. The problem is he also thought he was cool. And nobody drops more daddies and brothers <laughs> in their rap than Manny Fernandez. I mean, you could do a drinking game about Manny Fernandez. Well, daddy, we're going to fight tonight. And brother, when I see you in the ring, you know, just drink every time. You'll be loaded after, after a three-minute Jim Crockett interview. But he was never cool. And Beat It is, is, was such a cool song to all the kids back then that you watch it and you go, man, that's kind of, it's kind of making them uncool. Now, the song itself is far more groundbreaking than we ever give it credit for, um, especially because of the Eddie Van Halen uh, influence. It basically gave African-American acts permission to do rock and roll. Because up until then, there was a lot of disco and a lot of, you know, R&B. Prince was still heavily into his R&B section. And I believe I read an interview where he credits B with, with kind of giving him that de facto permission to do a song like Let's Go Crazy 
you know, and put it out there for white audiences. Purple Rain. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and Purple Rain and things like that. I, I, I might have my years mixed up. Purple Rain may have come before that. But... Purple Rain was '84. Okay. Yeah. So no. So this was before it. So so I'm I'm kind of right on on that track, and I I believe I I don't want to talk out of school. Um. Yeah, and Michael Jackson was just man. That was if you don't have cable, go to your friend's house to see the debut of his new video type of thing. You know, it's the kind of that beat it was the song people would make up, make up things about. Like I remember they talked about, oh man, he stole that guitar song from a song from a song called Hot Rider that was in the Cliffhanger video game on Laserdisc or something. You go. That doesn't sound true, but you know what? You're my friend, and I'm in fifth grade, and I have no way to check that. So it becomes a piece of useless trivia that you keep in your head for the rest of your life, and you someday will use it on a wrestling podcast. <laughs> you know, I you know, I I, I love that it was, that Eddie Van Halen did it for free. It's kind of a cool little story of you know game respects game type of type of thing. Um, but yeah, this was uh you know this this was uh, Michael Jackson as rockingist. Yeah, and like you said, Manny Fernandez, not a cool guy at all. Not cool. Tough, but not cool. Right, which means that he's not on the same wavelength as Michael Jackson. I mean, in the AWA, Manny was coming out to bad. <laughs> and bad, it's a much better fit for a wrestling theme, I think. Yes. But still, the two guys just don't gel at all, really. Well, let's like, put it this way. Manny Fernandez was older at that point. Yeah. Coming out to Michael Jackson. And if you thought he wasn't cool coming out to beat it, he definitely wasn't cool coming out to bad. Like, L.A. Park has used Thriller. And that works because L.A. Park is a spooky wrestling skeleton man who dances. Yes. The problem with Manny and Michael is that Manny is tough but not cool. And Michael is cool but not tough. You know, Michael Jackson can sing about being bad and being tough but he isn't actually bad or tough. So there's a real dissonance there between the two of them, I think, Jeff. Yeah, and uh, and Coco Beware and Norville Austin came out to, uh, you know, Pretty Young Thing. But, but, you know, and that was the name of their team, the Pretty Young Things. You know, it was funky, came out, they were still heels. You didn't use Michael Jackson as entrance music. You just have to have a certain amount of youthful credibility, I think, to do it. Well, the final theme of the episode is one that uh, I have been itching to talk about ever since you teased it all the way back on last year's episode, Jeff, because honestly, nothing gets me pumped up quite like hearing the name Hollywood Bob Holly. And if you're wondering, hmm, is that the same Bob Holly? Yes, it's the same Bob Holly, but long before he was Hardcore Holly, long before he was The Big Shot, long before he was Thurman Sparky Plug, he was... Hollywood Bob Holly in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And his theme song is by the great David Bowie. Off the album Young Americans, this is Fame. is i think a good way to end the episode because this whole thing is just a nice big laugh i mean with the other wrestlers it's a case where the gimmick works and it's great and it fits and all but the song doesn't but for old bob holly here it's not just the song it's the whole thing (laughs) hollywood bob holly is just so ridiculous now to be fair to be fair he was born and raised in california but 
That man does not have a California soul at all. He's Is he from got, Bakersfield? Uh, I think he's from Glendale, actually. Oh, Glendale. Oh, okay, Glendale's out here. Glendale is suburban Los Angeles County. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how, how he becomes a giant Alabama hick, I don't know. But from Glendale, California, that's, that's an interesting turn right there. Yeah, he has a no-nonsense... Alabama ass kicker soul. He is hardcore Holly. That is him. He is not a snobby West Coast douchebag in the slightest. And he is certainly not the kind of guy, regardless of gimmick, to come out to 70s funk David Bowie. Or any Bowie for that matter, Jeff. <laughs> maybe some Mott the Hoople overhead. <laughs> some I, Tin Machine, maybe. You never know. <laughs> this is the thing I point to. When I talk about miscast wrestlers, this is the Rosetta Stone of <laughs> miscasting a guy. Because I could see, now, now that you reminded me that he's from Glendale, and I remembered that, I knew that, but I just couldn't remember it. Where's Glendale? Oh, it's right outside L.A. and Hollywood. Oh, we're going to give you a movie star gimmick. Even though he has this southern twang. Now, now here's what Bob Holly looked like. It's like a trashier John Tatum, if you can believe that. He has a blonde mullet. He is wearing $3 Bret Hart knockoff sunglasses from a gas station. He is and wearing... And knockoff pink Bret Hart singlet as well. Yes, exactly. He's wearing Bret Hart's singlet, basically. He, he looks like the hitman. He's coming out in a robe and, like, a boa they got from, like, a Goodwill store. <laughs> And he's cutting these promos where he, he, he's reading the National Enquirer and he'll take off his glasses like he's supposed to be suave, but it doesn't come off as suave at all. And he's telling you, like, I'm from Hollywood and I'm a <laughs> big old movie star. And once I'm done with my match, I'm, I have a real hot date with Julia Roberts tonight. Julia Roberts, you know, she can't wait to meet me. And you're just like, what in the blue hell is this? My name is Matt Hardy, and I'm from London, England, y'all. Yeah, it, it's like if Bobby Eaton could have talked during the Blue Bloods gimmick, and he tried a British accent, and 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 they tried to pawn him off as really from Britain. That that's, cheerio, Governor. Yeah, you just watch it. You go, and they come coming out to fame, and he's trying to do that, you know, cocky strut. To the beat, because fame is this awesome kind of gliding along, you know, driving guitar song that's just, you know, bump, 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 you know, with a with a with a basic snare beat to it. And he's just not pulling off suave or ladies man at all. He's pulling off playing pro wrestler. And you're just like, this guy is dead in the water. But you watch him wrestle and, you know, there's those shades of that hardcore Holly gimmick, but you could totally understand why Vince gets him and goes, we need to give him some personality. Let's make him a race car driver named Sparky plug because he has that, he has that accent and they didn't know what they, they go. Well, we're, what, <laughs> what gimmicks did you used to do back there? Uh, movie star. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think if you're Bob Holly, you need a theme song with a bit of punch to it mm -hmm. and if you're going to do a hollywood bob holly gimmick fame is not the right choice because fame it's a great song got a fantastic riff great bass line bowie is top notch as usual but there's a little too much groove to it and not enough mm -hmm. impact to really fit with bob holly's style and i think if he came out to van halen or motley Crue or some other you know california hard rock band it'd be a lot different and a lot better because there'd be some kick to it. But fame is just, it's a little too tame. Hey, that rhymes. For uh, Bob Holly. He's classic rock or Merle Haggard. And there's no way in between. I mean, he's either outlaw country or he's, you know, Van Halen, Def Leppard. Um, you know, Def Leppard pre-hysteria. You know, something from Pyromania, maybe. You know, like Rock of Ages or something. You could come I don't out like that. that hysteria stuff. Give me on through the night, and that's all it. through no the more. night. <laughs> Diver down's my thing. Screw you guys. You know, like Judas Priest might have been his jam or something of like that effect. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, I wouldn't go country rock with him necessarily, but yeah, no, he's he's like 
pure, you know, what what 80s parents thought, you know, satanic rock was. And it's, you know, nothing like, you know, it's like Iron Maiden or something <laughs> that effect. Yeah, I, yeah, fame is just, it's, it's a little too clever by half. It's a song that fits the gimmick, but the gimmick never fit him. And it's a song that's about hating fame. Yes. And the prices of fame. And it's another one of these ironic songs where it's like, oh, they named the song Fame. We're going to do a song about Hollywood right now. No, it's about a guy who hated his management and he was being snarky and he got high and drunk with John Lennon one night and came up with this. Yeah, fame makes a man take things over. Fame lets him loose, hard to swallow. Fame puts you there where things are hollow. What you get is no tomorrow. What you need you have to borrow. Is it any wonder I reject you first? The whole song is based on, yeah, Bowie hating his managers, hating fame, and sick of having to deal with the egos and the isolation and the, the fakeness of it all. The song isn't, hey, look at me, I'm famous, woo! It's, I'm famous, and it sucks. Yeah, it's in that 70s self-loathing songs about the music business, like Give Me Back My Bullets by Leonard Skinner, which isn't, which is about, you know, ownership rights to music. It's the, the low spark of high-heeled boys by Traffic kind of thing, where it's like, oh, being a celebrity is so hard, and they pay me so much money, but it really, it ruins my private, you know, it's that, it's that stuff that people like me can't stand because it's like, all right, give me all that money. I'll do it. And I won't bitch about it, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. I, you know, I, I understand because, you know, I got a couple friends who have received a modicum of fame and they complain that they can't go to a restaurant anymore or something like that because, because, you know, people bother them. But at the same time I go, yeah, but half these restaurants you go to, you couldn't get into unless you were famous. So shut up. And it's like, it, yeah, it's one of those songs. It's one of those songs that you hear it as like, working stiff and go, oh, screw off, Bowie. <laughs> um, I think the only Bob Holly music story I know or remember is the one where Mick Foley gave him like a Nat King Cole Christmas box set and Bob just loved it so much and he played it all the time and it was like one of the few moments where Bob showed any like real pure joy to other people, but... That said, I don't think Nat King Cole would make for good wrestling music there, uh, Jeff. I think I, I remember him talking about it when he was doing his tour for his autobiography, which I hear is really, really good. And I've, and I've read some snippets of it, but I believe he would talk about music he liked on the road and stuff. I believe he's a he's a classic rock outlaw country guy for the most part, I, I think. Don't quote me on that, though. I think he also likes the Bakersfield sound. I think he's a Buck Owens guy, too. How do you lock me now? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. <laughs> yes, that's what I want. I want, I want. I want nothing but Nat King Cole. I want him coming out to like Unforgettable or something. Oh, look, there's another fame song. Or like, oh, look, I'm Unforgettable. Yeah. Yeah, Jolly Bob Holly. <laughs> Jolly Bob Holly. There you go. Awesome. Boom. New gimmick right there awesome. for you. Chestnuts roasting. He comes out like in a Santa gear and stuff like that, loving the kids and stuff. <laughs> if he's feuding with a guy, he'll be like, you're on my naughty list. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Jeff, thank you, of course, for being back on the show here. This was just an absolute treat. I mean, Hollywood Bob Holly alone was just so wonderful. And everything else was just icing on the cake, really. So I'm glad we could do this one. I remember the first time I mentioned that story, you went, what? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, give yeah, it to yeah. fame. Uh, yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me. You can follow me on social media at CrapGame13. I also do a show on Voices of Wrestling called Shake Them Ropes. It's mostly WWE-centric, and it's myself and one Chris Novembrino. But, uh, yeah, anytime you want to do stuff about real songs, I'm here for it. I don't want to exactly do a back catalog of Jim Johnson songs, but, no, this is a blast. Thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome, for sure. And uh, Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, just like Shake Them Ropes is. Check out all of the podcasts at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Check out the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes at the VOW forums. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash forum. And of course, Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. So for Jeff Hawkins, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys.
motherfucker, I'm tired of them Bucky Beaver fucking teeth of yours. And I just can't wait till the day when you knock on my door. And by the way, Sean, fuck you too. Ed Ferrara's a goddamn piece of fucking shit, in my opinion. You fucking idiot. Drive me crazy. Motherfucker. 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 Thank you, fuck you, bye, boom. Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.